getting a better handle on multi-cloud environments, learning the rules of the ransomware game, and who actually had pandemic in their disaster management plan. These stories and more in this week's ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Nick Holland. Since the advent of COVID-19, many enterprises have moved new workloads to the cloud. But have they been just as swift to adopt cybersecurity best practices in these multi-cloud environments? This week, ISMG's SVP of Editorial, Tom Field, spoke with Limor Kessem, Global Security Executive Advisor at IBM, about a new study looking at cloud security. In this section of the interview, Tom asks Limor, how do you get a better handle on your multi-cloud environment? Here's her response. Um, you know, when we look at who is securing what in the company, a lot of times you, you'd look to the CISO's office to kind of get the guidance and what has to be done. But the, even the CISO's office in this case cannot secure everything and take care of everything. Every business unit that decides to deploy in the cloud has to actually go through the steps of uh, assessing the risk and looking at security to establish what sort of controls are needed, what kind of data and workloads they're moving to the cloud and you know how critical, how sensitive, what is actually needed in order to move to the cloud, if they should move it to the cloud, and so on. So we're talking here, governance has to be very collaborative. There should be um, a new and fresh look and approach at cloud security to, to kind of differentiate it from what you have on site. Uh, and also kind of a change to the culture, you know, for people to understand this is a highly connected environment. This is a, an environment that can be less secure if we don't really pay attention to what we're doing and what kind of rights people have to information, what kind of information we move to the cloud, what kind of deployments we have there. Which brings me to the next point of like having a risk-based view, you know, before even deciding to move anything there. Um, there should be a, a really proper risk assessment to do that. Um, another thing is called PAM, Privileged Access Management, or just Access Management. In the cloud, so many different things can get access to data, to processes. It's not only humans anymore. So I think that automation and really looking at very intently at that aspect can help with preventing issues down the line. So automation here, incorporating things like compliance, in incorporating whatever has to go into that, even regulation, just making sure that only what needs to access the data can access it, making sure there's encryption, all those basics that we talk about that, that can save the day anywhere else on premise or in the cloud uh, become amplified in the cloud because of how interconnected it can be and uh, how much data is actually there. Um, also, you wanted to add something, Tom? No, no, go ahead. <laughs> so having the right tools uh, and, you know, being able to monitor, being able to see all the parts of the cloud. So we're talking about complex ownership before. So imagine, you know, you can only see certain parts because you have certain tools with which you view your network and then your provider can view another part of it. It's almost like you can only see certain rooms in your house with your cameras and the others are someone else under someone else's ownership. It's a little difficult. You really want to see the front door and you can't, for example, you know, so um, having the right tools, 
uh, monitoring, having visibility into the entire infrastructure is important. Um, I think automation keeps returning in, in all its various shapes to, you know, automating regulatory uh, requirements, compliance, um, identity access management, those kind of things. And also thinking about incident response in the cloud, you know, and incorporating it into the existing program, into the existing plans that companies have to understand that what happens if that's where we get compromised and rehearse that scenario so that if it does ever happen, for example, that they have redundancy of data somewhere else, or, you know, what happens if we're taken offline in this location, what do we do then? Just like when, you know, when, when the pandemic hit us, what do we do now? You know, we go to the cloud. Okay, fine. But what if we're hit there? What do we do then? So those kind of things are the advice that we would give security professionals about cloud security. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. Ransomware's rampage continues rather unsurprisingly, given the current optimal conditions for cyber threats. But not a lot of companies understand the rules of engagement, or the rules at all for that matter. Moreover, the rules of the game continue to evolve. In this week's dive into the murky waters of ransomware, ISMG's executive editor of Data Breach Today in Europe, Matthew Schwartz, discusses why so many companies are still caught off guard. So, do you want to play the ransomware game? Of course not. So it's alarming that so many organizations still don't appear to have figured out the rules of the ransomware game. Namely, you have to ensure that you have the right processes in place to block ransomware attacks, as well as to recover if one or more of your systems does get hit by crypto locking malware. If your organization gets hit and you don't have these essentials in place, then it's game over for you and game on for attackers as they try to shake you down for a ransom payment. Lately, that doesn't just include the threat of never getting your data back. Last November, the Maze Gang began taking a multi-stage shakedown approach. First, it sent victims a ransom note. If they didn't pay, it added their name to its leaks site, trying to name and shame them. If the victim still had the gall to not pay, Maze began leaking data that it had stolen before forcibly encrypting the victim's systems. And if even that didn't work, Maze would dump all of the data it's stolen, typically as a cautionary lesson to future victims. At least a dozen gangs have followed in Maze's footsteps, sometimes introducing their own innovations. The Soderno Kibi ransomware as a service operation, for example, which is also known as Revil, has begun auctioning off data for victims who don't pay to the highest bidder. Whatever the angle, attackers' ransomware shakedown game is one that you never, ever want to have to play. So, why aren't more organizations prepared? I put that question to Alan Brill, Senior Managing Director in Kroll's Cyber Risk Practice. The reality is, that ransomware has become a very convenient cover because many organizations discover that something that they would have thought about years ago, like backup, is something that didn't get really thought about in a long time. And everybody said, well, we have backup, it's on the cloud, um, and so we don't have to worry about it. But what do you do when you get the ransomware demand 
and you discover either that you didn't have backup at all effectively or that you had backup, but it's also been encrypted. Here are just two examples. Both are cities, Atlanta and Baltimore. Atlanta got hit by ransomware-wielding attackers in 2018, and Baltimore the next year. Neither paid attackers. But their poor preparation proved to be an expensive lesson, costing an estimated $17 million for Atlanta in cleanup costs and $18 million for Baltimore. Again, experts recommend preparing so you never ever have to consider paying attackers for the promise of a decryption key or having to foot an incredibly large recovery bill. Paying attackers is bad, of course, because for one thing, it directly funds cybercrime, validating the criminal business model. For another, decryptors aren't foolproof. When you do pay, you know, you have to recognize that this is not like paying a corporate bill. You're dealing with criminals. And you might get a fully functional key. You might get a non-functional key. You might get a key that only opens certain files, and they come back for a second payment to get the rest of the files. It might decrypt everything, but what you don't realize is they already have a copy of it, so you've had an actual data breach, or you might never hear from them again. They just took the money and ran. In other words, if you get hit by ransomware and don't have a good response plan already in place, attackers hold all of the cards. And really, who wants to play that game? For Information Security Media Group, I'm Matthew Schwartz. And finally, despite the rapid shift to a work-from-home environment, business continuity and resiliency have thrived. Does this mean security teams were focused on the right risks all along? Partially they did. But who actually anticipated a pandemic happening? This week, ISMG's Director of Productions, Anna Delaney, spoke with Quentin Taylor, Canon Director of Information Security, and asked him just who in the industry had thought of a pandemic happening. If I talk to some people who worked in, who work, sorry, in, uh, in government, obviously they dealt with SARS, they dealt with MERS, and, and some of them had some plans in place. But it is quite frightening as to, especially when I talk to my peers, how things like malware and uh, and fire and uh, building becoming unavailable, etc., 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 were far higher in people's thought processes than pandemic. Um, so, for example, normally your whole belief and your whole structure of a, of a disaster recovery is we lose one building, we lose one country, we lose one site, but everywhere else is okay to work and everywhere else is okay. Whereas, obviously, a pandemic touches everyone or touches everything a little bit less than one of those disasters where you lose an entire building, but it touches everything simultaneously all the time. And suddenly means that everyone has to adjust. And in reflection, where were the gaps in this process? Um, I think a lot of people need to start to think about what do we do if we don't have access to our core central collaboration suite? That's a real significant gap. I was talking to a guy uh, from Maersk and in the past, because, of course, they lost their Active Directory and they lost a lot of other things uh, when, when the, uh, the malware hit, well, they suddenly had to swap to using things like um, WhatsApp to be able to communicate, to give them a back channel that didn't use their own infrastructure. That's an area, I think, in a lot of companies where 
they may need to think about what would we do if we didn't have access to Active Directory? Other directory services obviously are available. Uh, what would we do if we didn't have access to our collaboration suite? How would we reach out to our, to our employees to say to our employees, this is the new URL, this is the new process, this is what you need to do? And these occasionally are the sort of holes that many companies do have today. And looking ahead, as we move forward, perhaps to a hybrid model, some people are returning to the office, where should security teams focus like? I think the focus should be on maintaining the good practice and the good changes that have occurred, um, which have been forced by this current pandemic. Um, I think focusing in on the really great things that your employees have been doing, the, the, the way that people have been coping so well, is focusing in and saying, how can we enable you to do more of that? Focusing in on saying, actually, it's not a case of we need to put controls in to protect you, which of course we do, but we need to make you, the employee, more resilient to say, you know what? I can't prevent all bad things from happening to you. But what I can make sure is that when that bad thing does happen, that you are able to cope with that. That's it for this week's ISMG Security Report. Theme music is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Nick Holland. Catch you next time.